Uh, this past uh, Tuesday night, uh, something happened at the stroke of midnight. Uh, it's something that we've experienced, many of us, we, we've experienced it hundreds of times. Uh, some of us who are younger, uh, we've still experienced it hundreds of times. But last Tuesday night at the stroke of midnight, uh, Tuesday night became Wednesday morning. And typically that's not a big deal. I mean, typically that happens 51 other times in the year and it's not like we're sitting up every Tuesday night and just waiting for Wednesday to start, just crossing our fingers, contemplating the previous day, looking expectantly to the next day. You know, we don't do that typically on Tuesdays as we look forward to Wednesday. But last Tuesday night, it was a little bit different. Uh, last Tuesday night at the stroke of midnight, Tuesday ended and not only did Wednesday begin, but also an old year ended and a brand new, brand new year started. And so it was a little bit different. And, and all over the world, there was a psychological phenomenon. All around the world, people stopped and people paused and people, they thought. You know, that's, that's a novel concept that we pause, stop, and think. Perhaps the world would be a better place if we just start there. Just pause, stop, and think. And, and all around the world, at different time frames and different time zones, everybody just stopped, they paused, and, and they thought. And this is a phenomenon that happens every year at the same time of year, late December, early January. Uh, everybody like you and everybody like me, we stop. You know, and we just kind of, we just stop. It's not necessarily a physical stop, but it's more of a mental stop. We, we just stop. Or, or maybe for some of us, we, we slow down. We don't, we don't fully stop, but we, we pause long enough to think about two very important things. And every year we think about the past and every year this time of year we think about the future. And it's really, it's really quite an amazing thing uh, because the whole world participates in this by and large. Everybody takes a step back and everybody for a moment reflects on the past and everybody for a moment reflects upon the future. And so we spend a little bit of time and we evaluate the past year. And so for us, we look back at 2019 and we, we tried to size it all up and we tried to evaluate it. And, you know, we started with this spectrum and, and we tried to figure out where our year fit along the spectrum. On one end of the spectrum was fantastic. On the other end of the spectrum was sucktastic. And, and we just decided, you know, where did 2019 fit in there for me? Was it a win? Was it a loss? Was it a draw? Um, was it uh, good? Was it bad? Was it memorable? Was it forgettable? Uh, was it fun? Uh, did we laugh some? Did we smile a lot? Did we make a lot of memories? Or was it boring? And, uh, or was it just downright miserable? Uh, and we look back and, and we try to take it all in and we try to assess some type of value on the previous year. And, and really what we're looking for is we're looking for a heading. We're looking for a word. We're looking for a series of words. We're looking for a sentence that will help us describe what this past year has been like. So we look at choices, the choices that we made, and maybe last year there were some good choices in there. I mean, there were moments when, when we, were, we were just, we were a star. I, I mean, it was awesome, it was incredible. I mean, you know, it was the bottom of the nine, three, two count, the bases were loaded, and, and, and we, we, we swung the bat, and we hit the ball, and it, it was a homer. I mean, it was a grand slam, and we couldn't have done it any better. And then there were moments when, you know, we pulled a Bill Buckner with the ball. Some of you have no idea who Bill Buckner is. You can Google it. It's not a good thing. All right? You know, you, you just blow it. And, and you made a bad decision. You made a bad choice. And you think about all of that. And, and then you look at the challenges that you faced. Uh, the challenges that got the best of you. And the challenges that you, 
you overcame. And, and we take all of that in and we try to, we score it. Pass or fail, A, B, or C, or F. Uh, we label the year and then we kind of file it away. So, okay, that year's gone and then we look forward. And, and then we start thinking about the life that we wanna live, right? We look at 2020 and we look to the next 366 days of 2020 and we think to ourselves, we're gonna get an extra day this year. Uh, an extra day to do it good and to do it right and to do it better. And so we look at all of these opportunities and we think about the life that we wanna live and we think about the life that we could live and we think about the life that we should live. We, we think about those commitments that we wanna make, right? New Year's resolutions, I, I think they're a thing of the past. Uh, but I, I'm advocating for a new kind of resolution. Resolutions that we can actually keep. Like this year, I'm making a commitment in 2020 just to gain weight. That's what I'm gonna do. I mean, that would take all the pressure off. And then if you failed, you still win. Hey, what are you gonna do in 2020? I'm gonna gain some weight, why? Because every time I see my granny, she says, honey, you're looking sickly. Right, you lose weight in Kentucky, Southeast Kentucky, Appalachia. <laughs> it's not that you're fit, it's you're sickly. And, and honey, if you get cancer, there's gonna be nothing left, so it's better, you know, what they're saying is, you wanna face cancer fat than skinny. You got a better shot. I don't know if there's any, you know, medical background to back that up, but it's kind of the way it is. Uh, 2020, I'm just gonna gain some weight. 2020, you know, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna eat better. I, I'm, just gonna, I'm just gonna eat more. Uh, and, and it's going to be better for me. Uh, I'm not going to exercise because I knew that man last year. He exercised every day and he died. So see, I can't take that kind of chance. So I'm, I'm not going to exercise. And, and, and you know, that's what we do. We think about the commitments we need to make. We think about the changes that we should make. And we do this every year. Uh, because the rest of the year, most of us are too busy living life to actually think about how we are living life. That we get so caught up and school starts back and the kids and basketball and football and baseball and academic team and extracurricular and dance and gymnastics and there, there's everything going on plus your job and plus, you know, the little side gig you've got and then plus friends and I mean, the rest of the year, you're just too busy to think about actually how you live in life. So this time of year is actually a gift. It's a bit of a cliche, but it's a gift because there's a reason that we count time. There's a reason that we count seconds that become minutes, that become hours, that become days, that become weeks, that become months, that become years. And, and I know it's to track and to be able to, to place things along a timeline, but I think we count time and we count our days because we want our days to count. Uh, there's something more than just living that we're interested in. We're actually more interested in that it mattered that we lived. That's the reason we take time to think about things from time to time. And maybe you're not the type who does that, but there have been moments in your life, you went to the funeral home and you looked at that 50-some-year-old father up there in the casket, and for a moment you thought about you and you thought about your life and you went to the hospital and there she was wasting away with cancer and you walked away and you thought about you. You thought about your marriage and you thought about your kids and you thought about your life and you thought about your lifestyle. We, we do this and it's a gift every time that we do it. And the reason that we do it is we want our life to matter. We want it to matter that we lived. It's just not that we lived. This is what Churchill, he said, it's not enough to have lived, but rather we should be determined to live for something. Everybody say for something, for something. 
we want to live. That, that's true. We all want to live. And so we do all kinds of things to, to live longer. And, and we eat good and we should and, and we try to exercise and we should. And, and we do all of those things to live a little longer. But I think he was onto something when he said, it's more than just about living. It's actually about living for something. And in all of our quest to try to live longer, why do you go to the doctor to live longer? Why do you take that medicine to live longer? Why do you have all of those supplements to live longer? Why do you intermittent fast to live longer? Why do you do all the things that you're doing to live longer? We all want to live longer. Nothing wrong with that. But instead of all of us thinking about living a longer life, where do we stop and think for a moment about living a better life? We do all kinds of things to add years to our life. But how much energy do we try to spend putting more life in our years? So in 2020, here's some thoughts to think about before we move on. What about in 2020, if all of us, Jesus followers or not, what if all of us stopped and began to think in terms of just not success? And I think you should be successful. I think everybody ought to aspire for greatness. But just not success, but significance. It's just not, are you successful, but are you significant? Is the life that you're living significant? Are the choices that you're making leading you on a quest towards significance? And it's going to matter that you lived. It's going to matter that I lived. In 2020, just not thinking about making a great living. And you should. I hope you do. But how about thinking in terms of making a great difference? There's a difference in all of that. There's a difference in success and significance and there's a difference in making a living and making a difference. What about instead of thinking about all the things that we want to do in 2020? And I've got a list. I, one of my favorite things that I've done so far is I sit down with the calendar and we've got the, the Master Barton calendar that helps us know exactly what we're doing day to day and, and basically, you know, moment to moment in, in many cases. And it's like doing all of these things that, you know, it's on the calendar to do. And that's a lot of fun. But but what about spending some time to think about the person that we want to be? Not just the things that we want to do and the places that we want to see, but the person that we want to be. Because we want to just not live, but we want to live for something. We want to live for something that makes it worth living. And we want to make it that at the end of our life that it mattered that we lived at all. We all want, whether or not we express it or not, we all want a life of purpose. A life of purpose. That's what we're looking for. That's what we crave. That's what we're thirsty for. We live in a culture here in the United States of America that is thirsty for purpose. People are looking for purpose in all kinds of places, all sorts of causes. Some of them political, some of them environmental, and all that stuff's good. Be involved in all of that. But we live in a culture that is thirsty. We live in a culture that has a famine of purpose. And here's the one thing that Christians believe. We believe that our very best life is to live a life of purpose. It's what moves us from success to significance. It's what moves us past just worrying about making a living to making a difference. It, it moves us beyond just living to actually living life to the full. Because that's really what we all aspire is to have more life in our years and just not more years to our life. And every single person, you know that whenever there's been seasons of your life where you didn't have any purpose, it just, all things feel empty, right? I mean, you can be successful, you make a lot of money, you can, you know, your family can, you know, basically be well and put together and you don't, you don't really have any major concerns or problems, but, but when you don't really have a purpose to your life, all of that just has a little bit of a hollowness to it. And then life without purpose is boring and it's kind of aimless and 
meaningless and it's just not a it's just not fun to live life without purpose purpose is the reason something exists and this is why Christ followers Jesus followers uh, men and women who believe the scriptures this is why we believe that Jesus followers we should be the foremost authority on what it means to live life with purpose that we all understand we believe Matter of fact, we just got out of a series. We spent months talking about what the scriptures teach us about ourselves and the world around us and about God and, and how we learned that we're all created on a purpose for a purpose. That God created you on purpose and God created you for a purpose. You're not a cosmic accident. I'm not a cosmic accident. We're just not the random chance of a whole bunch of things coming together and then bam, here we are and going through a meaningless experience that we call life. No, that's not what Christians believe. Christians believe that every person has a purpose. Now, when I was young, uh, er, when I was younger, I, I used to think that the worst thing in life was to die young. I, I can remember being a teenager and I'd go to bed, and I would lay there at night, and I would think, you know, Lord, please, you know, now I lay myself down to sleep. I'd go through that. I asked Jesus into my heart at least a quarter million times growing up just in case every night because it's like, I don't know. I mean, I'll wake up. That's going to, and, and could there be anything worse than dying as a teenager? And then you turn 20 and you, you, you say, is there anything worse than dying in your 20s? And, and then I turn 30. Can there be anything worse than dying in your 30s? I've yet to found an acceptable age at which I'm willing to die yet. And maybe you're there, but I used to think the worst thing in life was to die young. And then I didn't want to be good because, you know, the Proverbs says only the good die young. So I need to have a little bad. <laughs> you know, you just, what do I need to do to make sure I don't die? What, what do I do to make sure I survive? And, and then you get some wisdom. And then you get some experience under your belt and you find out there is something worse than dying young. It's dying at any age without ever figuring out why it was that you were alive to begin with. See, purpose is a means to an end. It's a means to an end. That's what it is. When you live on purpose and I live on purpose and when I live with purpose and you live with purpose, our life, your life, our lives becomes a means to an end. We don't like that in most cases because we like to be the end. We want life to be about us. We, we want it to be all about me and you want it to be all about you. That's the easy thing. That's the default setting. But but having a life of purpose is being a means to an end. I am not the end. I'm just a means to an end. An end that is beyond me. An end that is be, you know, greater than me. And that's where we find meaning. You find meaning when you become a means to an end. That's purpose. When your job becomes a means to an end, your job has new meaning. When all the things that you're good at becomes a means to an end, there's brand new meaning in all the things that you're good at. When your story, your mishaps, your failures, your, you stepped in a hole and you spent three seasons in that hole before you could ever get yourself out. When you realize that that season of your life is just a means to an end, that season of your life has a brand new meaning attached to it. When you realize that being a parent is just a means to an end, there's brand new meaning in being a parent. When you realize that money is just a means to an end, it has brand new meaning to it. That's what it means to live with purpose. 
to position yourself and to position myself as a means to an end. And when we do that, you know what happens? We're living with purpose. We make better decisions. Our relationships get stronger. We have fewer regrets. One day, I imagine we're all going to hopefully be 80 or 90 years old and we're going to sit on our front porch and we're going to be drinking a cup of coffee or we're going to sit there and we're going to look out and we're going to think back over our life. And maybe our spouse will be there or maybe they won't. Maybe our kids will be there, maybe they won't. And in that moment, we'll think about our life. And the one thing that I promise you that you will not want to look back and discover, you will not want to look back and discover that you lived a life with no lasting purpose. Jesus showed up and here's what Jesus said. He said, the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. In all of our churches, let's just, let's just read this out loud together. The thief comes only to steal, kill, destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He says, don't be content with existing. Live life to the full. Full, extravagant, satisfying, contented, joyous, peaceful. Laugh and smile and cry. And do all the things that life has in it. I come to give you life. Just not eternal life, but a full life in this life. Now, when you read through the Gospels, and I don't have time to, to go into it a lot, but when you read through the Gospels, you find that Jesus invited people to follow him. And in following him, what Jesus was inviting people to do was to discover their purpose. You follow Jesus, he's our Lord, he's our Savior, he's our teacher, he's our master. But, but Jesus followed, you know, invited us to follow him so that in following him, we would discover our purpose. And, and that's what we all want. That's why we were created with purpose. And, and in some way, there's a part of our hearts, there's a part of our mind that's always searching for the purpose that God wired into us, that God programmed into us. And, and to live life apart and away from that purpose, it always just feels like something's missing. And so what do we do? We fill the void until what we filled the void with, it just no longer feels good. And then we go and we find something else and we fill the void. But Jesus said, I'm talking about a purpose that lasts your entire life through every season of your life. Man, woman, rich, poor, educated, not, it doesn't matter who you are, where you are. A purpose that transcends all of that stuff. We live in a culture that says, here's the greatest question you can ask. What am I here for? What am I here for? Good question, but not the best question. Better question is this, who am I here for? That's the question that Jesus leads us to because Jesus always attaches our purpose to a who and not a what. That's what we discover in Jesus. When, when you listen to Jesus and you watch his interactions and you see what he infers and you see what he just says right out, you find that Jesus attaches your purpose for living, your purpose for existing, the reason that you're breathing. Think about that. The reason that you're breathing. Jesus attaches that not to a what, but Jesus attaches that to a who. Who am I here for? Imagine. Imagine if we just woke up most days and we asked that question. Who am I here for today? Who? Because my purpose is not attached to a what. My purpose is attached to a who. Now, there's some what's in my life, but the what's are just a means to a who. Because God always attaches my purpose to a who rather than a what. For example, 
you like to take notes, jot down Matthew 4. Matthew 4, Jesus looks up one day, sees Matthew, or sees James and John and Andrew and Peter, and they're out there fishing. And he looks at them and he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of what? Of men. Guys, you follow me and I'm going to show you what your purpose is. So let me go ahead and attach your purpose to people. I'm going to make you fishermen of people. Because that's part of your purpose. He attaches purpose to people. Matthew 7, Jesus said, do for others. Do for others what you would have them do to you. Because in doing so, you keep the law of God. What was he doing? He was attaching our purpose to people. Luke 6, Jesus said, love your enemies and do good to them. Bless them. Pray for them. Because in doing so, you will be the children of the Most High God. What was he doing? He was attaching our purpose to people. Matthew 9, Jesus says, look at all those people. They're harassed and they're broken and they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're lost and they're stumbling over themselves and they're hurting themselves and they're hurting people that are around themselves. Jesus said, look, disciples of mine, look, followers of Jesus, look at the fields. They are ready for harvest. There's lots of work to do, but not a lot of workers pray that the Lord of the harvest would send workers into the field. What was he doing? He was attaching our purpose to people. And then most of all, most clearly of all, Matthew 22, Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing we can do? What's the most important commandment of all? And of course, if you've been around here any time at all, you know the answer to this. To love God and to love who? People, our neighbor, as ourself. He attaches purpose to people. That's what he did all the time. And then finally, his last breath, his last breath to his followers, his last breath to all the future generations of followers were about this very thing. Jesus, after the resurrection, after he died for your sins and my sins and after he was buried and he was resurrected and the tomb was empty and there was a brand new beginning because of the empty tomb and the resurrection and he looked at his followers and he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Well, why did he say that? Because he had just defeated sin, sorrow, and death. He had taken our sin and he won the victory on behalf of us so that we would no longer be a slave to sin, a prisoner to sin, a slave under the power of sin. He set us free from all of that, free from condemnation, free from death, forgiven freely, fully, forever. He says, I've done all the hard work, so I've got all the authority. And they're like, yes, sir. I have the authority to tell you why you exist. You don't get to decide that. You don't even get to pray about that. You, you don't get to throw a bunch of things on a sheet of paper and then put it on a dartboard and say, Lord Jesus, guide the dart. No, you don't get to do that. You don't get to close your eyes and open up the Bible and say, that's my purpose. No, he, he said, no, you don't, you don't get a say in it. You don't get a say in why it is that you live on why it is that you exist. You, you, you don't get to determine your own purpose. I get to do that for you. Now, that's the first great place of surrender for Jesus' followers is right there. Jesus declared his authority. He says, I've got it all. You don't have any of it. You're gonna follow me. And I'm telling you what your purpose is. And we have a decision right out of the gate. Are we gonna surrender to that authority? Are we gonna surrender to his definition of purpose for my life? And Jesus said, okay, so therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Who lives in nations? People. 
And there he is again. He's connecting purpose to people. Your purpose. Not to a what, but to a who. So don't ask, what am I here for? He says, Jesus' followers, we're always asking, who am I here for? And Jesus said, you're here for the world. Go baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and of the Holy Spirit. You know that day what Jesus invited them to do? This sounds, this sounds corny. It sounds like a Christian mug, like a Christian t-shirt. But he invited them to change the world. Now, they didn't have Twitter. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have cars. They have jets. They have trains. Can you imagine how daunting that felt? Going to all the world. What? They're looking at each other. Some of them hadn't traveled no further than Galilee or Jerusalem or maybe even up north in Caesarea Philippi. Some of them, they hadn't traveled anywhere. And Jesus said, I want you to go to all the world. You imagine how impossible that, have you ever felt like anybody asked you to do something impossible? You ever felt that way? You ever felt like God asked you to do something impossible? He, this, this must have felt, now imagine, I asked the staff a few weeks ago in a staff meeting, I said, let's all just, let's, let's just close our eyes, close our mind off for just a moment. Let's, let's pretend that, that none of that happened in their generation, but it happened in our generation. And Jesus just, Jesus was just to show up here this morning. Jesus in the midst. And we're all like, oh my God, Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, I, I just want to tell you, I've got all authority in heaven and on earth. And here's what I need you all to do. And this is what I want you to do. I'm going to tell you what your purpose is. I'm going I'm to hand purpose off to you. I want you to go into all the nations of the world and Tell them about me and tell them about life that can be found in me, an eternal life and a better life. And I'm telling you, even in our 21st century, technologically advanced world, I just can't help but most of us would just kind of scratch our head and, what do we do? What are we going to do now? Where, where do we go? Where do we, where do we start? What does this look like? I think even in our day, it kind of feels overwhelming. I want you to go change the world. Some of us, we, we can't even change our family. We, we can't even change the atmosphere at work. Change the world? Are you kidding me? That's, that just feels impossible. But I want you to think about this. Jesus didn't give his followers a plan that day. He gave them a purpose. He, he didn't outline on how to do it. See, we want a plan. That's what we want for 2020. We want a plan. We want, we want a plan for marriage and we want a plan for parenting. Nothing wrong with a plan. But Jesus didn't give them a plan. He, he didn't draw it out. He didn't tell them how it was going to work out and how it was going to be. They were going to figure out. A, that's the book of Acts. They, they should have just called it the book of figuring it out. They were figuring it out as they went along. Sometimes making it up as they went along. Sometimes having to back up and pump because they got it wrong before they figured it out exactly what they should have done. He didn't give them a plan. He gave them a purpose. Some of you are waiting on God to give you a plan. But he's already given you a purpose. And some of you just need to start trying to figure it out and what that looks like. And when you're living from your purpose, can the plan be really that bad? If you're trying to live with the purpose that God's given you, 
I think that God's grace is big enough for us to stumble through and figure out the best way to do it. We put all the pressure on the plan when we ought to put all of our attention on the purpose. And so Jesus said, go to Jerusalem, wait on me. And 120 of them ended up in an upper room. And, and then by the, book of, the end of the book of Acts, 120 has become hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of Jesus' followers spread all around the cities and the territories of the Roman Empire. And here's what we find out. I'm just gonna put a whole bunch of teaching into one thing just because th this is kind of where we're starting on this series. In the New Testament, we discover that we find our purpose in Jesus. We find our purpose in Jesus, but we live out our purpose in and through the local church. I found my purpose for living in Jesus. That's my purpose. But where do I live out that purpose? Where do I express that purpose? Where is the best place for me to live out the purpose that Jesus has defined and spoken over my life and your life? And that's what the New Testament tells us. We find our purpose in Jesus, but we live it out in and through the local church. And that's why if you are a Jesus follower, you're never going to be able to fully embrace your purpose. You're never going to feel like you're fully living out your purpose in some kind of quasi-disconnected relationship to the local church. But the more connected, the more involved, and the more committed you are to the local church, you have the place to live out your purpose. The purpose that you found in Jesus, your Savior, your Lord. It's in the local church that we live out our purpose. We don't find our purpose in the church. We live out our purpose in and through the church. And if we're going to make a difference in this world, let me tell you how we're going to do it. We're going to do it together. And that's the beauty of why Jesus said, I'm going to build a church that not even the gates of death are going to be able to prevail because it's bigger than you and it's bigger than me. We're going to do this thing together as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in the New Testament, there's a whole bunch of, you know, teaching about the church, but but to just deposit this into our thinking so that we can pick back up on this next week. The Apostle Paul, he said, I want you to know what you've been invited into. You're a Jesus follower. Yes, you were invited to follow Jesus. But when you decided to follow Jesus, you also became part of his church. And in becoming part of his church, you are now a person who's discovered your purpose. And now you have been placed and positioned in a place to live out that purpose. Because disconnected from the local church, disconnected from other believers, you can't live it out. We wanna think that we can because we're Americans and we're individualized and personal freedom and what have you, but not so when you follow Jesus. We grew up with a personal decision to follow Jesus. Anybody, bless the Lord, anybody wanna make a personal decision to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is bigger than your personal decision to follow Jesus. The moment you made a personal decision to follow Jesus, you got connected with everybody else that's never made a personal decision to follow Jesus. So it's bigger than that. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. That ought to thrill us. That ought to excite us to be a part of something bigger. It's going to outlast us and outlive us. Here's what Paul said. He said, just as a body, though one. How many bodies do you have? Just one. You don't have bodies, plural. You have a body. You are a body. Though one has many parts, and hey, this is biology. This is anatomy. 
There's parts to your body. But all its many parts form one body. So it is with Jesus. And so Paul, he's using this analogy. And it's like, okay, this is not very deep, Paul. I mean, we, you know, okay, we're tracking with you. We have, we have all these different parts of our body, but yet we're one body. He says, okay, you got it. If you got it, say got it. Okay, some of you, not so sure. It's okay. All right, just, just pretend until you get there. He says, here's the point. There's one church. Well, yeah, there's lots of churches. Yeah, but in the end, this would help all of us to understand. There's only one church. You can call it Baptist. You can call it Pentecost. You can call it Methodist. And call it charismatic, non-charismatic. Calvinist, non-Calvinist. Arminian. Doesn't matter. You sprinkle, you dunk. At the end of the day, if you follow Jesus by faith, been saved by grace, there's one church and you're a part of it. Now, there's different communities and different pockets, and, and we're one of those pockets here at the Creek Church. But if you're from another church and you're a Jesus follower, we're all part of the same church, though we find our expression in pockets of that church within miniature bodies, almost of the bigger body. And Paul, he's talking to a group of Christians in Corinth, and he says, you need to understand there's only one church, and there's all kinds of people in that body. So there's diversity, but yet... There's unity, many parts, diversity, one body, unity. Now, let me tell you one of the great things that I love about our church is the diversity. I mean, we got all kinds of diversity around here. I mean, just take a look around. I mean, the way we look, the way we dress, I mean, we're different. And you know what? Diversity makes us stronger. Diversity makes us better. Many of us grew up in churches that wanted just to stop out all diversity. Everybody had to be on the same page. Everybody had to dot the I the same way, cross the T the same way. Everybody had to see everything exactly the same way. And if you didn't see it the same way as everybody else did, it, well, your days were numbered. <laughs> People began to look at you like you had a fourth head. Right? I mean, so here, here we are. We're many different parts. We, we see the world different. There's Republicans in our church. I know some of you can't believe it. There's Democrats in our church, and I know for some of you, it's hard to believe. There's independence in our church. We, we see the world differently, and there's a strength in that. Broader perspective makes us better. It doesn't make us weaker. It helps us think deeper. It helps us think better. It, it helps us to be aware of differences that otherwise we wouldn't be aware of. It helps us to understand differences that otherwise we wouldn't have understood. By rubbing shoulders with people that are different from us. Yeah, it's uncomfortable, but boy, it's beneficial. To be in the same body with all kinds of different people who sees the world differently politically than you, socially than you, who has a different perspective about the environment, a different perspective about the economy, and a different perspective about the military, and a different perspective about all this stuff. That's a good thing. It's not a thing to be resisted. It's, it's a thing that makes us stronger. We think different. We, some of you grew up Pentecostal. You know how I know? We hear you every Sunday. Some of you grew up Baptist. You know how I know? We haven't heard from you in years. <laughs> haven't heard from you in years. Some of you grew up Methodist. And, and you know, I, I, don't, I don't even know. I don't even know what to say about that. Presbyterian, I, I don't know. Uh, some of you, you, you grew up in just a different background. Some of you grew up in, you know, church services that lasted for two hours and some for 50 minutes. And, but here we all are. Congratulations. 
And, and that's kind of the church. We're so diverse and we have gender diversity. Men, women, and I tell you, um, there's a lot of single men, a lot of single women. Great place to find a bride or a husband to get married. I mean, what more could you want in a church? Some of you are single and not interested in a husband or a wife. Maybe the smartest among us, as Paul would say, not Trevor. <laughs> Take that one up with Paul, all right? They were different. Different ages. Some of you are young. Some of you are younger. Some of you are old. Some of you are a, a step beyond old. You're not in God's waiting room. You're in his hallway. I'm kidding. They couldn't hear me anyway. And uh, just joking. I'm kidding. That's who's paying for the church. It's these young people. They don't give a dime. Tithe? What's a tithe? They may be deaf and blind, but bless God, they give. You can see in here, but sting? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Kind of. All humor has an element of truth, right? I mean, we're all just different. I mean, we're different. Paul says that's good. Many parts, one body. Diversity, but unity. Then he goes on. He says, for we were all baptized by one spirit. There's not a Pentecostal spirit and a Baptist spirit. There's not a Presbyterian or a Methodist spirit or a non-denom spirit. All baptized by one spirit. So as why to form one body? Same grace that saved you, saved me. Same Jesus that forgave you, forgave me. Hey, one spirit, we form one body, whether Jew or Gentiles, and they couldn't stand each other before Jesus. Slave or free, they couldn't have been more different socially. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now, this is incredible. God's spirit shows up. The church is born. And God's spirit gave you and me different identities. We live in an identity culture. Everything has to have a label. Everything has to have an identity attached to it. But for Jesus followers, all other classifications have fall, fallen away. All other labels have fallen away because why? Labels always divide. They always divide. They always create distance between people. But now the Spirit of God has taken power away from all of those labels that cause division. He says, so we're all in one, one body, one spirit. He says, even so, the body is not made up one part, but of many. Okay, we're with you, Paul. But if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason, stop being part of the body. Okay, pretty clear. And he goes on, because he wants us to make sure. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not be for that reason, that I would stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? In other words, we're all the same, but we're different on purpose. And our differences help us carry out and express our purpose. If we were all ears, you know what? We cease to be a body. We become a monster. That's what he's saying. He says, don't look down on anybody. 
Nobody can look down on anybody in the church. You're a pinky, you're a pointer, you're an elbow, you're a shoulder, you're a thigh, you're the shoulders. Hey, nobody gets to look down on anybody because the ground's level in front of the cross and you're no more important than I am. Every part, invaluable, indispensable. But in fact, God has placed parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Now think about it, just, just for a minute, and then we're moving on. Imagine for a moment if that's true. What if God has placed you where you are for a divine reason? What if you call the Creek Church your church and it was God that brought you here? What if it's God that's put you here? What if you do what you do for a living because God put you there doing what you do for a living? What if you're good at what you're good at because God put you in that place being good at what you're good at? And what if all of that in some way is connected to all the other believers? in all of their giftedness, in all of their stories, in all of their experiences. But what, if, what if it's not accidental? Well, that, that brings a new perspective. If they were all one part, where would the body be? Well, not in a good place. The body needs every part. Now, yeah, we can live without one part of the body, but I'm telling you, anybody wanna willingly give up one? Anybody got a part of the body that just not, they don't care that much about? You know, take my four left toes. No, every part of the body needs the other parts of the body. As it, as it is, there are many parts, but one body. Everybody say one body. One body. And he keeps on. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Every part is invaluable and indispensable. Listen, I want to tell you, if nobody's ever told you this before, you are if you're a follower of Jesus, part of the local church, you are indispensable and invaluable. That's how important you are. Invaluable and indispensable. What needs to be done can't be done without you. We can't fully live out our purpose that Jesus has handed us without you. We can't drive the ball down the field as far as we can if we had you on board. We can't do what we need to do the best way we can do it without any of you, without any of us. And he says, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. And you can go through the New Testament, and I'm not gonna take time, but the New Testament tells us how we're supposed to relate to each other and what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to treat each other. And then he ends it here. He says, now, you are the body of Christ. Followers of Jesus, you are the body of Christ. Not me, I'm not the body of Christ. I'm a part of the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And everything that was true of Jesus should be true of us. Everything that was true of Jesus should be true of us. I'm gonna say it one more time. Everything that was true of Jesus should be true of us. So when you read the Gospels and you find out that Jesus invited the rejected, accepted the, the unwanted, loved the unlovable. When, when you see Jesus through in the New Testament, that's how we're supposed to be. 
And he says, and every one, each one of you is a part of it. We have all been invited in to carry on what Jesus started. He declared purpose over you. He put purpose in your hand. Purpose for why you do what you do for a living. Purpose at home. Purpose that transcends every part of your life. It's connected to people, to each other, to those on the inside and certainly those on the outside. When I showed up here, you know, 15 years ago, the only dream that I had was I want to reach as many people as possible. That's what I want to do. That's what I want our church to do is to reach as many people as possible. That's what got me into the ministry. On lunch break, I would go knock on doors of subdivisions and housing projects and led my first person to faith in Jesus on her front porch. An old lady in her 70s, her name was Ursula. That's all I've wanted to do when I first got out. I just, want, I just want to see people far from God find Jesus. I believe that's the best life. And that's what I found here at the creek. A bunch of people who wanted the same thing. We wanted to be a church where you can honestly say it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. Come on. There's a seat here for you. We wanted a church where we don't fuss over silly things. But we keep the main thing the main thing. Because our purpose is more important than our preferences. And so sometimes we have to put the hard pill in and swallow It's not what we would do and it's not even what we would like. But we believe in some way it's going to help us accomplish our purpose. So sign us up. We wanted a church where we cared about the next generation. We wanted a church that really took seriously. That we want to change things. We want to change the world. And I think 2020 can be our best year yet. I'm praying for 300 people to get baptized in 2020. I'd love for you to join me in that prayer. The local church is at its best when every part is doing its part. And if you're a follower of Jesus, here's what we can say. I'm in the church. I'm a part. And I have a part to play. Let's let's all just say that out loud. If you're a Jesus follower, let's just say this out loud together. I'm in the church. I'm a part. And I have a part to play. We will never accomplish our purpose to the fullest potential without you. We are a body. And at the heart of our faith is an empty tomb. Jesus' body was laid in the grave and then he was resurrected. He is alive. And you know what the body should be? Alive! We're not going to be dry. We're not going to be boring. We're not going to be dead. We want this to be a place where you experience the presence of God. The power of God. We want this to be a place where you walk in and you feel the love of Jesus from the moment you get out of your car until you get back in until everything is said and done that you came to a place you were loved, you were accepted, you were cared for and you were introduced to Jesus in a compelling, attractive way that just makes you want to jump in and be a part of it. And that's what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. Heavenly Father, We love you. Thank you for taking us as broken as we are and as messed up as we are and 
You've invited us to carry on the purpose that you started. God, help us to submit to your authority. You've declared purpose over us. Our purpose is to see those far from you come to faith in Jesus, to love and to forgive and to care for each other. God, this is our single greatest opportunity to make a difference with our life. It's in this thing we call the local church. Let's all stand together at all of our churches. We serve a living, breathing Savior. He's been resurrected from the dead to die no more. And if you're a follower of Him, you were dead in trespasses and sin, and you were raised to a brand new life, a life of purpose. Father, we sing this to you in Jesus' name.